Well, last week we started um, a mini-series, if you like, on worship. What does it mean to be a worshipper? What is worship all about? And I started off by asking the question, what springs to mind when we mention that word worship? I think eventually we got there and we said singing. You know, if you go online and put in worship, you'll get all kinds of websites that are dedicated to singing, to singing worship songs, singing praise to God. But I think what we do, if we say that alone is worship, is we still it down to something that actually isn't unbiblical. To something that isn't biblical, sorry. To something that misses the richness of what worship is all about. You see, in the Bible, there are different words for worship, and we'll come to that in a moment. But last week, we were looking at how worship was all about God. It's not about us. This week, we're going to be looking about how worship is about imitating and living for Jesus. And next week, we will be coming on to what is singing all about. What do we do when we gather together like we are this morning? What can we expect biblically that God will do amongst us when we meet in his name? If we just have the the PowerPoint on, Tom, that would be great. But I just want to, to quickly take us through these four words that the Bible talks about worship. Because these are really, really important. So we're looking at imitation, which is one of them. Anybody good at pronouncing ancient Greek? not amongst your skill set. Don't worry, just read the word. I'll tell you what it means. So the first one is homage. This is one type of worship the Bible speaks about. And it's a type of worship where we come, and it literally means to kiss the feet of. To kiss the feet of in worship. And you find this, you know when the wise men visit Jesus? There's one usage of the word. And it says they come and worship him. This is what they're doing. It's that type of worship. They're paying homage to Jesus. Another one, I can't even pronounce that one at all, so I'm not even going to attempt. But that word means service, service to God. In the book of Hebrews, the angels are spoken of of doing that kind of service to God. We get the word liturgy from it. So the things we do before God, the things we say that are worship. This one, this means respect. The Gentiles in the book of Acts are talked about being God-fearing at times. They're sort of having this type of worship before God. You know, when we come before God and we realize his awesomeness, this is what that word means. And then this is the one we're going to be focusing on this morning. Obedience. Worship that involves the whole of our lives. Worship that involves imitation of Jesus. So if you've got a Bible in front of you, if you want to turn to the book of Romans... We're on page 1075. It will also just be on the screen there, but you'll need quite good eyesight for that. So we're just looking at two verses this morning. I'll read them out off the screen. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Let's just pray again, shall we, and ask the Lord to help us as we look at these verses. In view of God's mercy, offer ourselves as living sacrifices. Lord, I want to pray that this will be true for us this morning. Lord, it's been great this morning to to hear your praises sung. 
Lord, I just want to pray that as a church that we will be living out those very words that we've sung this week. Help there to be no divide between what we sing, what we talk about, and actually the actions that we live out in the week. So as we come to your word this morning, would you inspire us? Would you challenge us? Would you encourage us? And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to think back two months. David Cameron has just resigned. He stood in front of 10 Downing Street. He turns around. He walks towards the door. What does he do? Can anybody tell me? He starts humming. Yeah. Can anybody tell me what Classic FM did that evening? I saw this on the news. I wasn't listening to it, but I saw it on the news. Anyone tell me? No? They started a competition to see what could you do musically with David Cameron's humming. Just watch the screen for a minute. Well, that's exciting, isn't it? (laughs) We're having trouble with this earlier. Is it playing? No? Go on, John, see. It's not quite the same if I describe it. I will describe it if not, but let's just see if we can get this working. Just talk amongst yourselves. Welcome the person next to you. These are all the things that when you preach and you try and do to fill gaps. Hello, Classic FM. It's Gabriela Montero. I couldn't resist your challenge. Now, let's see what David Cameron really hummed last night and what Bach might have had to say about it. Right. What he really sings is this, but then he raises it to an E-flat. So it's kind of out of tune. So I'm going to choose because it's much nicer. Taking something that somebody has hummed, four notes of some aimless humming of a man, basically, whose life, whose career was in tatters. A brokenness, humming of brokenness, turned into that within the space of 24 hours. I don't know who deserves the credit, David Cameron for the theme, or the lady for her transforming of that. But I just thought, when I saw that, I thought, what an image of what God desires to do with us. He takes us in our sort of, if you like, our aimless, broken humming, and he turns it into something incredible. That's what lifestyle worship is about. It's about God taking the brokenness that is inside of us and turning it into something amazing. That's the type of worship that we start to see in Romans 12. You know, this worship won't happen on its own. You can't say, oh, I'm going to church to worship in a Romans 12 way. It doesn't make any sense. It's about so much more than doing an act of worship. It's about being a sacrifice. It's about being in that place before God. We can't worship like this if we don't want to, but God, by his spirit, if we want to be a Romans 12 worshipper, will transform us and renew us. So let's have a look at this this passage. 
So if you've got your Bibles, you might want to keep it open. It says, in view of God's mercy. Paul gives us the reason why we should worship in this way, and it's God's mercy. God has shown us love and grace and mercy. It says in Ephesians 2, verse 4, Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. While we were dead in sin, what does Christ come and do? He dies for us. He goes to the cross. We remember that in a few moments at communion. That is the basis of our worship. But you know, I think it can be quite easy, if you've been a Christian for a while this morning, to get a bit blasé about God's mercy, to somehow think that we have an entitlement to it, to somehow think that, you know, we talk about rights and things in life, don't we? You know, I've got a right to this, a right to that, a right to the other. God could have left us dead. Mercy is not treating us as we deserve, but it's treating us as we don't deserve. That is what God does when he loves us and sends his son Jesus to die for us. And it's easy to forget that. It's easy to think, oh, well, we want something deeper. We want to move on from that. You know, there is nothing, nothing deeper than what Jesus did on the cross for us. There is no greater truth, nothing that should turn us more into worshippers than that. The centrality of Christian worship has to be the cross of Jesus Christ. It has to be the place where God showed his mercy for us. So in view of God's mercy, let's keep going. The mind is not enough. Sorry, that is not a title for the next Bond film, just in case you were wondering. (laughs) Verse 1, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. When Paul was writing the book of Romans, in that sort of period of the life of the church, the life of the early church, there was a group sort of growing within the church called the Gnostics. And what they believed was that you needed all kinds of hidden knowledge to find God. And they had some really weird teaching. And they started to say that actually the mind, the soul, the spirit, you know, the inner part of us, they used to call it, that part is good, that part is given by God. So by all means, look after that. You know, try and find inner peace, try and find the hidden knowledge that allows you to get to God. But the body, well, you can forget that, because that's evil anyway. That's created out of the the stuff of the earth. So do what you want with that. You know, so drink as much as you want, eat as much as you want, have sex with whoever you want, so just forget about it. That's what they've taught. Paul says, absolutely not. In no way. Your bodies need to be offered as living sacrifices. It says in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? Your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. Today, if you're following Jesus, if you've committed yourself to him, the Bible is very clear. The Spirit has been poured into you. He has sealed you. You have become a temple of the Holy Spirit. How does that make you feel this morning? Does that excite you? To know what God has done? To know that you are sealed? To know that the Holy Spirit is in you? Last Sunday night, we we were talking about this difficult question of what happens when we die. And we were looking at the final Christian hope is of resurrection, isn't it? And it's that our bodies will be raised imperishable. That's what it says. It's the whole of us. The whole of us. Paul says here, use your bodies to worship. So what does this mean? What does it mean to use our bodies in worship? How do we do it? Well, basically, it's live. You know, that's what our bodies do, isn't it? We live through our bodies. We have no other options. If you want to be a true worshipper of Jesus Christ this morning, live it. 
You know, we can sing until the proverbial cows come home. But if that doesn't link in with how we live, it's just hollow words. Imitation of Jesus has to go alongside adoration. You can't have one without the other. We need to imitate in our lifestyle and adore Jesus with our words. The mind just simply isn't enough. It's not enough just to think the right things. We've got to live the right things. The early church, um, going on for the end of the New Testament, second, third centuries, what they would do, they would spend literally years mentoring people. Mentoring people so that they absorbed the scriptures and understood what it meant to live out worship. I think it's something, as, as I say, as a wider church, we're just coming back to the importance of mentoring and discipling. You know, of encouraging one another to live like Jesus. And what their aim was, was in a sense to change the reflexes in our behavior. You know, if I sit on a chair now, and I cross my legs and somebody comes and taps my knee, what will happen? You'll get a kick, yeah. It won't be me being deliberate, but that's what will happen. That's what happens to us. That's what the reflexes, isn't it? That's how our bodies instinctively react. What are your reflexes like? Are your reflexes worship? Who drives? Are you driving down the motorway? It's busy. Somebody suddenly cuts you up. What's your instinct? Is it to wave the fist? Is it to do other things that we won't repeat? Is it to to just be gentle, kind, loving? What's your instinct? What are your reflexes? Are your reflexes worship? Do you honor God with your bodies in that situation? Or suppose you're at work, you're in the office, or you're at the school gate, or you're with your friends or your family, and you're there chatting, and suddenly there's an opportunity for a bit of gossip. You know, some news has come about somebody, and you could really go to town on this. You could really give this person a dressing down. What's your instinct? Is it to join in? Is it to gossip? Or is it to honor God in that situation? How do I react? How do you react when perhaps the opportunity to become really self-centered raises itself? And you, you have the opportunity to think just of yourself rather than other people. Do we act like Jesus? Or are our reflexes to react just in our own best interest? Or how about if a relationship came your way that was not going to be God-honoring? What's your reflex? Is it to worship God with your body in that situation? Or is it to self-indulge and go your own way? How do we react when somebody really winds us up? That does happen, doesn't it? happens to all of us. How do we react when perhaps somebody has just got on our nerves and we want to bite their head off? Do we react in worship, instinctively, or do we react in a totally different way? You know, how do we get to know God's heart for us? Well, it's by opening the scriptures, isn't it? It's by seeing what God has said. And if you like, that is obedience. That is the start of the journey. We open our Bibles and we're in the training camp mode. I think there's a Warrington Half Marathon today, isn't there? Yeah. If I went to do that today, I'd probably do about the first half mile. And then no matter how much I push myself, I wouldn't be able to do it because I'm not trained, I don't run. I'd walk it quite happily, but I don't run. Um, I'd need to go for training. i need to do an awful lot of training before I could run that, and even then I probably wouldn't manage it. We need, if we want to be worshippers of Jesus through our lifestyle, we need to get in training. We need to get into the training camp. And that involves getting into the scriptures, understanding what God says, other people's input, small groups, friends, prayer partners, whatever it is. But that is only the start. 
You see, obedience is the trainer, but the goal is transformation. And I actually believe there's a difference there between obedience and transformation. You know, we can tweak our behavior, can't we? Just in, in ourselves, without God's help, we can sometimes change things. Um, the beginning of the summer, I think I was getting a bit lazy in terms of taking the dog out for a walk. And this was becoming noted in our household. <laughs> and it got to a point where um, I had to realize that actually what I was doing was not good for me, it wasn't good for Claire, and it wasn't good for the dog. <laughs> See how far down the pecking order I, I get there. And so what I did was I thought about it and decided, yes, it was right. You know, I did need to walk the dog every day. I need the exercise. I need to get out. I need the fresh air. And so, do you know what? I've managed. I'm, I hope I don't fall into pride here. But I've managed to tweak my behavior. Every day, for the last six weeks, is it or so, I've walked the dog every single day. And I feel better for it. I can do that. I'm not sure whether I'll still be doing it in November when the rain comes. But I can do it. We can tweak our behavior. We can behave ourselves in situations if we need to. We can take a list of things to do and don't and say, yeah, I'll do some of that and I won't do some of that. But to me, that is a totally inadequate description of what Paul is calling us to in this passage. It's a totally inadequate description of what God will do in us if we allow him to. It's an underwhelming vision. God is not into sin management. He's into transformation. He's into the Holy Spirit working in us in such a way that our very instincts and reflexes change. That we become instinctively worshippers through our bodies. The way that we react, the way that we live, the way that we speak, instinctively mirrors the Jesus who we are imitating. Not through tweaking our behavior, but through transformation. I want to tell you um, two stories of friends of mine. Um, both of them suffered from alcohol addiction. The first one was somebody I knew about 20 years ago when I was at the Nazarene College. And he'd become a Christian, and he was, he was drinking really heavily since he'd become a Christian. And he hadn't stopped. He hadn't stopped drinking at all. One morning, he woke up, and he felt God say to him, as he reached under the bed for his bottle of vodka, do you really need that? Do you really need that? And he found himself saying, well, I like it. Do I need it? No, probably not. So he did a deal with God. Always dangerous things to do, by the way. But he did a deal with God. He said, right, I'm going to drink everything in the house. Then I'll stop. So he did. don't know how much he had in his house, but he drank it in 24 hours. And then he stopped. And instinctively, his attitude was changed. Jesus worked a miracle in his life. You know, God will sometimes do that. He will sometimes just come to us and instinctively do something, and we will change. I'm sure many of us here can testify to times when God has done that. He's just broken in, and we've seen transformation happen in an instant. You know, the hope of the gospel, is it, isn't it, that in the final, that last day, that we will be changed in an instant. Sometimes we get a foreshadow of that in this life. But I want to tell you a story of another friend of mine. Same kind of situation. She'd become a Christian, yet was battling with alcohol addiction. For her, it took years and years to work that one through. She went to Alcoholics Anonymous. She had prayer partners. She had support groups. And it's still a struggle. The reflexes were changing, but had not yet changed. And it was still like this was sort of the training camp moment. She really had to wear this. Be patient. 
God isn't finished with me yet. I hope all of us feel we need that t-shirt. Yeah, be patient. God hasn't finished with me yet. I'm still in training. I'm still learning what this is about. The Holy Spirit is still doing a work in me. Be patient. Be patient with me. But you know, there's more here. In the 4th century, sorry, we're not doing a, a potted history of the church, just in case you're wondering, but there was a man called John Chrysostom who was a preacher, and he was, his nickname was Golden Man. Now, it wasn't because he had amazing fillings, but it was because apparently his preaching was so eloquent that people would just sit and listen. And he wrote this commentary on Romans. And in it, he, he said, you know, people think that becoming a Christian is all about not doing things. And sometimes I think as Christians, we can give that impression. It's about chop this, chop that, chop the other. But if a tree um, just gets chopped, it becomes, you know, you chop all the branches off, there's nothing left. We're called to bear fruit. We're not called to be diminished, but we're called to bear fruit. And he would go along and he would say, actually, what we need to do is develop positive reflexes as well. We need to grow instinctively so that we react like Jesus, but in an incredibly positive way. Yeah, we see a need. We see somebody who's suffering. Is our instinct to show mercy? Is our instinct to love in the way that Jesus loves? If we see injustice in the world, is our instinct to to want to protect people, to want to demonstrate justice. If we hear people who, who are obviously not in a place of right relationship with God, do we instinctively want to share Jesus? Now, that is worship. Instinctively becoming that person that God calls us to be. So how are your reflexes this morning? I'm not talking about your knee reflexes, but your behavioral reflexes. Are you imitating Jesus? Am I imitating Jesus? Are we becoming those people that God calls us to be? The next thing, be transformed. Look at verse 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We read that in our translation as transformed. The original word is not transformed, but it's transfigured. We just have transformed because it's probably a bit easier to understand. But if you read that again, be transfigured by the renewing of your mind. If you've got a really good memory and you were here a year ago today, I think the first sermon I preached here was about the transfiguration. I'm not asking you to remember. I have no idea what I talked about. But I seem to remember talking on that passage. Matthew 17, I'm just going to read a couple of verses. It says, After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah, talking with Jesus. As Jesus is transfigured, he physically changes. He looks different. It's not just a sort of tinkering around the edges. The disciples get to see him for those few moments as he really is, as the exalted Son of God. Now, that is the kind of worship that Paul talks about in this passage. Be transfigured. Be changed. Be physically, totally different. Be transfigured. But it's driven by the renewal of the mind. What's your thought life like? I think I may have said this before, and I'll probably use it again at some point, but if your thoughts were to appear on the screen from the last 24 hours, how would you feel? 
If mine were there, I would go a very long way, and you would never see me again. (laughs) I think all of us would be the same, wouldn't we? Because we are not as renewed as the image that Paul paints here. You know, I sometimes wonder if actually what we're doing is we're paddling on the edge of renewal of the mind. And God actually is inviting us to swim into his mercy and renewal. And yet we tinker around doing little bits of changes here and there. And Paul says, be transfigured. Be different. Be totally and utterly changed. 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18. And we, and, sorry, and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Are you being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory? Or are you paddling at the edge? Am I being transformed, transfigured into his likeness? Or am I still on the beach? You know, where are we? Where are we in that sort of process? You know, we can't do this by ourselves. We cannot renew ourselves. You know, I love the word transformation because it is a word that is so grace-based. We cannot transform ourselves. Yes, we can tinker around the edges. But if we want to be what Paul is talking about in this passage, if we want to be life worshippers, we need the Holy Spirit to do it. We need to invite God's Holy Spirit to do a work of freshness. Do you need renewal this morning? I don't know if you see that need in your mind. To be renewed, to be transformed, to be transfigured. How do we do it? What does God call us to? I want to offer us just four very brief suggestions. Some have already mentioned. The first one is, you know, we need to get into training. We need to get into God's word. We need to be accountable to each other. We need to share our desires for transformation with other people. The Bible never encourages us to be disciples of Jesus in isolation. We need one another. We need the church. Second thing is we need to ask the Holy Spirit to refill us, to empower us, to equip us. We can't do this on our own. This is God's work inside of us. Thirdly, and we'll look at this next week, imitation goes along with adoration. You know, we need to be spending time actively seeking the presence of the Lord. Adoration, you know, gathering together like we are today, seeking the Lord together. And fourthly, we remember the cross. We remember that it's all because of God's mercy. (laughs) Jeremiah 31, verse 33, says, This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel, After that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. The promise given to Israel, and the promise fulfilled in the New Testament, is that God will re-hardwire our brains. He will make us like him. Do you want to live like that? Do I want to live like that? Do we want to be those type of people? It's not easy. You know, Paul says in these verses, do not conform to the pattern of this world. We will naturally get pulled into other things. I was walking um, a while ago around Manchester, and I came across this place. Those of you who know that I have a bit of an obsession with water will see yet another river image. Anyone know where that is? No? That is round by one of the university buildings. And that is the River Medlock, as it appears from a culvert for about, what, the distance from here to the back of the church and then disappears again. Doesn't look very nice, does it? Not particularly. It's a river that um, used to be like an open sewer, 
I think you used to, if you drank it, you would be dead within minutes. It was that dirty. Um, doesn't look very nice today. See the spare tire in there? You know, if you need a tire for your car, you can go there and fish that one out. There was a nice shopping trolley sort of buried in the mud as well. But the more I looked into that water, the more I thought, actually, no, this, is, this river isn't like it was. It's starting to get cleaned up because there were fish swimming around in it. I'm not talking little tiddlers, you know, this sort of things, but there were this sort of size. Nice-looking perch and chub and fish. I'm not really into fish, so I don't know what the others were. But they were swimming. And this river that had been dead was being brought back to life. Now, as long as Manchester stands, it will never get back to probably the, tr the trout stream that it was hundreds of years ago. But there's life there. There's renewal there. What a picture of what God is doing in us. This side of eternity will never be the people that God wants us to be. You know, we still will be wearing that T-shirt. You know, God, be patient with me, God isn't finished. But God is doing something. God will do something if we call on his name. He will enable us to live out, to be transformed, worship. I think the question for us is, do we want to be that kind of worshipper? Do we want to honor God in the way we live? Do we want the transformation and renewal of our minds? We can't do it ourselves. God won't do it if we don't want it to happen. But when we get on our knees, when we pray, Lord, by your spirit, will you do a new work in me? He will enable us to live out this kind of worship. As we imitate Jesus, the Son of God, the one who simply says to us, will you follow me? Will you follow me? Let's pray, shall we? Lord Jesus, I'm just amazed again this morning by the mercy you have shown us. Lord, help us to offer our whole self back to you. Help us to take this call to transformation seriously. Lord, it is so easy to sort of paddle at the edge and not, not wade into the ocean of your mercy and be transformed in our very being. Lord, would you do a new work in us this morning? I just want to leave just a bit of quietness. Perhaps you just need to, to spend a few moments doing business with God in your own heart. Leave some space to do that. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Lord, your word has urged us to do that. Let us pray for each of us that we will respond as you desire. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.